Welcome to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast. We are your hosts, Alora and Kitty. And welcome back to season three. Today, we are exploring both the literal and metaphoric topic of liminal space. We discuss the definitions of liminal space, tell you where they can be found, talk about their importance, and even how to navigate these tricky spaces. It's going to be an hour chock full of juicy info you don't want to miss. So grab your cuppa and settle in. So Kitty, how yes. are you? I am good. Feeling liminal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, before we like dive into the topic, I guess the first question I want to ask you is how often would you say that you work in liminal space? The honest answer is 95% at least, I think. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think just naturally most of my craft is done in those liminal spaces during dream time between wake and asleep, really heavy on the dreams lately. And a lot of time I spend walking, which kind of opens me up to, you know, the, the beings in the woods and the gods and being near water and if I just kind of close my eyes and go into a trance-like state to listen to um, the ancestors and also, of course, during divination, even when I cook or bake, I find myself going to into, into like a um, trance-like liminal state. So yeah, 95%, I think. How about you? About the same, more or less? Uh, I would say, hmm. You know, I would say 75 because a lot of times when, when I'm working, like there is a, like 25% of the time when I'm working, there is a heavy physical aspect to it Mm -hmm. where I have to be present and not exactly check out and go into liminal space. Yeah. So I'd say it's like a 75, 25 for me. I do a lot of things, um, in dream space and astral travel and things like that, but if I had to divide it into a percentage, I'd say 75, 25. That makes sense. And I think there's been times in my practice where there, where it's more physical, but as of late, I am in a transitional, I'm in a liminal period. So a lot of my (laughs) things are put away, you know, packed up. So I think it's been pretty heavily on the spiritual aspect on the liminal side, I guess lately. So, okay. Now that that's been said, why don't we define what we mean by liminal space? So can you tell us what it is? Yeah, because I'm sure our listeners are like, I don't even know what liminal space is. (laughs) You've never heard of it before. So liminal space can be both physical and metaphoric. Liminal comes from the Latin root word lemon meaning threshold. So therefore liminal spaces are places where the threshold is crossed. They are spaces of transition or between spaces. If you want to call them that it's a space where you leave, but you're not yet fully in another space. Does that make sense? (laughs) 
Yes, actually. And I pulled from my favorite, one of my favorite books called Fire in the Head. I've mentioned it before by Tom Mm -hmm. Cowan. He says the shaman is a walker between worlds and is at home in places betwixt and between regions that are neither this nor that. So that kind of expands on it a little bit. Not expands, backs it up. (laughs) That gives it some context. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's an, it is an abstract concept, but right. it makes sense like, to me. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. What would you say, because we know that there's different kinds of liminal space. So what is the difference between physical, personal and spiritual or experiential liminal spaces? Okay. So Physical liminal spaces are places where the veil between worlds is thin enough to be in both the physical world and in other realms, right? So there's an article on Pathios uh, that I found that beautifully uh, kind of, there's a quote in there I really liked. Uh, The title of the article is called A Witch's Reflection on the Liminal. Um, so the, the quote in that article was witches walk between the worlds with one foot in the world of force and the other in the world of form, which I thought was just, oh, yeah, I like that. That's good. So we'll get into specific examples in a second, but physical liminal spaces aren't limited to this. Uh, muggles also spend quite a bit of time in physical liminal spaces, whether they understand that they do or not. So for example, places like elevators, stairwells, airports, they're all considered liminal spaces, like physical ones. I think this is funny too, when I read this part, um, talking about like airports and elevators and stuff, I was driving my son to school this morning and I realized cars are also kind of liminal spaces because you yourself physically are not exactly touching the ground because you have the car between you and the earth and you're sort of suspended in the air, but not quite. (laughs) Right. And you're not, they're used to go between places, right? Exactly. Your house, but you're not yet at your destination. Yeah. And then, then it got me thinking too, how about those times where like you completely lose time on a drive, like all of a sudden, you know, you lose time almost you get from one a point A to point B and you're like, Whoa, <laughs> I don't even oh, remember yeah. driving there. That actually happened to me a lot when I first dedicated to witchcraft. Like I think when my senses were amping up, like mm-hmm. I was getting like these time skips, especially in the car. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if you put on like some good high lung or wardruna or something, (laughs) (laughs) it will happen. Yes. Okay. So now that we've talked about physical liminal spaces, personal liminal spaces are personal characteristics, which we embody that are in between. So some examples of this would be in gender, sexuality, ethnicity, even our personality. So to give you guys an example of this, uh, growing up, I never fit in with a set group of friends or click in high school. I was somebody that fit in anywhere and nowhere all at the same time. Like nobody really hated me and I could hang out with whoever was around, but that's about as far as it went. I didn't really have a core group of like-minded friends. 
So that's like an in-between space, right? Because you don't have a, a defined group of friends, but you're also not extremely on the outskirts. Yeah. I I think that's funny because I wanted to say that we are way too much alike. (laughs) (laughs) I was the exact same way. A lot of people knew me from all the different cliques or crowds and I got along with pretty much everyone, but I was pretty like fluid as far as friend groups went. Right. Like you could hang out with the jocks and the goths in the same day. Yeah, absolutely. I I had friends from every different like genre or whatever the heck you want to call it. Um, I tend, I guess I tended to lean more towards like the rocket rocker kids, but I could like, like you said, I could hang out with anybody and I wasn't like strictly one click. Right. Yeah. That's cool. And I wonder, I wonder if a lot of magical folks are like that because we just tend to be liminal. Probably I would say. Yeah. I mean, and then like, if you like to get more, you know, give another example or whatever, if we're talking like sexuality, you know, there are people that are gender or well, that are pan, what is it? Uh, pansexual, mm-hmm. right? So that's not really defined. If you want to get into gender, there are people that are gender fluid. Right. Um, so all of these like qualify as liminal. Yes. Faces. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. What about spiritual liminal spaces? Okay. So spiritual liminal spaces, which can also be identified as experiential liminal spaces mm-hmm. are events or states of being in which we leave something behind, but we haven't arrived at our destination when we leave them. So for example, these would be like relationship changes, job changes, graduations, uh, midlife crisis, <laughs> mm. uh, moving, dreaming, uh, actually partaking in creativity because you are creating something, but it's not created yet. And you've left an old idea to create what it is you're working on, but these are all events or states of mind where we leave one thing, but we aren't necessarily into the next. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would, I would say, cause I'm moving right now and you don't realize, well, it's been a while since I've moved. So I've forgotten the, oh, the feeling of it, you know, it's like, we're ready to move, but we're not, it's not quite ready yet. And you're like stuck in this weird limbo liminal <laughs> space. Yeah. So, uh, it, well, I would just say that all liminal spaces are not, well, I wouldn't say all, but it's not always easy, I guess. It's not always comfortable, right? Which I think we're going to get more into that as we go along, but. Yeah, right. And, you know, one that I didn't mention, but I will um, now, Dark Nights of the Soul, I would classify as spiritual liminal spaces, um, but we are going to talk more about that. But yeah, a lot of these things are difficult, right? Because change, whether it's good or not, is difficult. Yeah. Period. <laughs> and I wanted to add too, when you're going through these experiential liminal spaces, I've noticed that creatures that are more of a liminal nature will present themselves to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially, well, I know you've had that experience and mm-hmm. I was having that experience as well, um, with creatures that I don't normally 
um, dream about or work with like yeah. when I had my recent health issues, um, snakes were present in my dreams and yeah. I don't, I'm not somebody that dreams of snakes often. I mean, the, like when I was a kid, I had recurring nightmares of snakes, but, um, not since I was a kid, really do I dream of snakes? Yeah. Um, snakes are definitely a big one with the transitional liminal mm. times, but for me, frogs and bats, which are not lately, like this past week, which that, those are not normal for me either. Those have never really showed up before. So that's interesting, but it makes sense, right? Because frogs yeah. can be in the water or on land, right? right. So they're yep. traditional, right? And then bats are nocturnal, right? Yep. So they exist during the daytime, but they don't really come alive till the night. Exactly. Yeah. Cool stuff. (laughs) I know. Right. (laughs) Okay. So why are we talking about this? Why are liminal spaces important to magical folk, to witches and, um, you know, the craft in general? Well, witches, I would say by their very nature are drawn to liminal spaces. So just a second ago, when you said, I wonder if all of us are kind of like that, I would say yes. Like I would say, witches are naturally drawn to liminal space. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with, we work between worlds often in the practices of spirit work, divination, casting spells, journeying, trance work, etc. Mm-hmm. dream, dream time, astral travel. There are witches who define themselves as, as hedge witches, meaning they only practice in liminal spaces or in liminal spaces, 98% of the time. Right. I'm sure everybody has heard of hedge witchery. I feel um, like I'm, I'm, I'm sort of that just lately, but my, mm-hmm. my practice evolves all the time, but anyway, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um, so hedge witches are definitely the liminal space classification. If you want to use a identification label or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, but if you're involved in witchcraft, you have spent time in liminal space. So it is the between where we can commune with spirit and otherworldly beings, perform energy work such as Reiki and other healing methods, revisit past lives to heal personal trauma. But the point is we do a lot in the in-between. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, you do it every night when you're dreaming, if you're astral traveling and in those hypnagogic states. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and I think as we get to talking more about the physical liminal spaces and how they apply to witches and witchcraft, you'll begin to see how much you actually do work in liminal space. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know that it's a, an issue of learning how, you know, I think if most people, yeah, are already naturally doing some of this work without realizing it. Oh yeah, for sure. So what are some of these witchy places that may qualify as liminal space? So we'll start with a big one. And this uh, is like, this is where it gets really fun. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> so graveyard or cemetery, um, and there is a difference, but either one of those, this is where people's bodies are buried. Whose spirit has left the world of form and gone to the world of force cemeteries. 
I like how <laughs> so, you worked that in there. Yeah. Cause I love that quote. I think that's great. It is good. Uh, cemeteries and or graveyards are excellent places for spirit contact, as well as casting magic, which requires the help of the dead. Often it is used in hex work to gain the favor of a malevolent, baneful, or otherwise traumatized spirit who died in a less than peaceful death to help a practitioner carry out their hex work. Um, there are also other, there are other how do I say this? Um, uses in a graveyard or cemetery. So for instance, to like, if your family owns a family graveyard or cemetery, it would be an excellent place to do ancestor work. Um, but this is an in-between space for sure. Yeah. And I wanted to say, I know that there's different perceptions of cemetery work and, and some people are uncomfortable there, or they feel like there's a lot of rules or what have you, which there, it just depends on the tradition. So I'm not going to knock on it, you know, anything or, or act like I know everything about cemetery work. But for me, I've always felt really at peace in cemeteries. And, um, I've also had a pretty extraordinary encounter with the Fae, uh, once about mm-hmm. eight years ago, that was in, in a cemetery and it was actually very healing. So I think it depends on the work that you're setting out to do, but it, I mean, it does depend on the spirits that you come across as well. So you always have to be mindful and, you know, respectful of that, but yeah. Right. And just a side note, uh, a friend of mine who is a, a witchy lady, she told me once that if you are comfortable in a cemetery, it means that your spirits, like your, the spirits around you, whether it's your guardians, ancestors, spirits that you work with, mm-hmm. if you're comfortable in a cemetery or a graveyard, it means that your spirits are from a cemetery or graveyard. Hmm. And if you're uncomfortable, your spirits are not from cemetery or graveyard, but this is in, um, this is in, uh, African diasporic traditions. Okay. Okay. I was going to so say, cause I, that's, it might be possible, but being that I've located, been relocated elsewhere, <laughs> very far away from where my, I believe most of my ancestors are from that. I don't know that that would apply to my situation, but who knows, you know, I don't know. Well, we're very much alike for sure. Cause growing up, we had a cemetery across from our house. And I used to ride my bike over there and just sit, um, in the cemetery with a book. My mom thought I was so creepy. I mean, people think it's creepy, but it's a really quiet place. Right. (laughs) So I don't know. I, I, I remember there was one time that I was hanging out in one and some, it, it was too close to a neighborhood and some drunk guy on his porch was like, look at this weird girl walking amongst the tombstones or whatever. And I just like, looked at him like, really? (laughs) <laughs> mind your oh own business gosh. but anyway okay so the, next, <laughs> the next place we're gonna talk about is the crossroads so the crossroads whether literal or man-made is a liminal space it is the space directly between one direction or another mm-hmm. it is the central meeting point of at least four different pathways so the crossroads is excellent for working road opening or blockbusting magic, as well as to petition liminal deities. Yes, there are liminal deities such as Hecate, Hermes, Elegua, and Ganesh. 
for instance. So two things on this one, I know that you're saying, and I think traditionally it has to be four different pathways, right? As far as a crossroads goes. Yes. But what about, cause I know that a forked road also has its own power and is also kind of a liminal space as well. When you have, you know, one road or one path in the woods, let's say that forks off into two. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, Do you think, I don't know that I would call it a crossroads, but I think that it's a liminal space though. Yeah, I I don't know. I'd have to think more about that (laughs) because I don't know how I feel about that actually. Well, if you stand in the middle of the, of those two, you know what I mean? You're not really, yeah, but you're nor there. I still think that, um, I still think that it would still have to be three. Okay. Well, we will, we will agree to disagree. But if you get to a fork in the road, right. So if you have a path that goes left and right, you still had to come from somewhere. So that would make it three. I agree, but I still think it's a threshold because you are on the precipice of one or the other. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cause no, if you I'm not think about, if you think about a doorway and we'll get into this, you're either it's one direction in or out, right. Or two directions technically. Yeah, no, but I don't, I don't disagree with you, <laughs> but I don't think that you can call it a crossroad. No, no, no. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, no, I'm not saying it's a crossroads. I'm just saying separate separate section, letter B, add another line, <laughs> fork in the road, liminal space. Um, gotcha. Ladies and okay. gentlemen, we've reached a fork in the road. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. You're stuck with me until we're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Probably beyond that too. Um, well, you, you found me in this life, so. <laughs> oh, stop it. Okay. I want to say one more thing about this too. I had a lady years ago, and I'll always remember this. She swore up and down that you could not meet or feel the presence of Hecate or Hecate, however you want to pronounce it, um, at the crossroads. She said that the crossroads was purely in the spiritual or metaphorical, that you could not go to a physical crossroads and, um, you know, find a liminal deity. Um. We're going to go with that's incorrect for a thousand, Alex. Right. I laughed at it. I'm like, dude, have you, I'm like, have you ever even been to a liminal space? Like in the physical world? It's (laughs) yeah, clearly not. (laughs) Yeah, no, I completely disagree with that because crossroads are some of the, um, most powerful liminal spaces. I would say that there are. For sure. I mean, where, where did we think we got that idea of a crossroads from? It wasn't just like made up in our minds and we never actually saw it in the physical, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And which I'm not getting into this because this is a whole nother podcast, but I will just say that the liminal space of a crossroads doesn't just apply to paganism. There's all kinds of liminal space stuff going on across religions and cultures, including Christianity and et cetera. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. So, I mean, hello. Have you ever heard of like meet the devil at the crossroads? Right. There's a whole movie about it. I know. (laughs) I know exactly. Okay. Moving on. Yes. So tell us about altars. 
All right. So alters follow me with this logic. Okay. So an altar is a liminal space, which can be specific to a practitioner, or it can be built for the purpose of invoking a particular deity or hosting a specific ritual. Like if you're um, in group space, but altars themselves are liminal because they are essentially a between space for spirit work, divination, uh, meditation, deity invocation, uh, which are all liminal activities. So altars are essentially windows or doors to other places. Yeah. That makes sense. It's like having a, yes, a hundred percent. And I would add on to that and say that temples or sanctuaries mm-hmm. are also liminal places like, well, well, I'm thinking ancient Egypt before you shoot me down. Okay. The temples and the temples no. in ancient Egypt, where they kept the altars um, and the shrines for the gods were, you know, ritually purified every single day. You couldn't go in there um, unless you, you know, you, you were pure um, of body and mind and spirit. And then once you entered, like once you crossed the threshold into that temple, the temple was where you could feel the God's presence essentially. Right. Yeah, no, um, I agree with you there. I just like, I just don't want to get it twisted that I, I don't think that modern churches are necessarily liminal space. They can be, but it depends on the, I think it depends on the individual church, honestly. Ooh, um, we're going to have to get more into that for with Mamir's well. Yes, girl. As well, because I do have some pretty, I don't want to say they're good or bad, but they're definitely experiential liminal experiences in a Pentecostal church. Right. So like I said, I would not say that overall churches are liminal spaces. I would say, I don't know. It depends. Depends. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was really going for pagan temple there, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) and me, I'm thinking like modern and I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. (laughs) All right. So why don't you tell us about hedgerows and why those are liminal spaces? Okay. So a hedgerow, while most of us don't have a hedgerow around our property in modern times, it was essentially a like a natural fence that marked one's property that literally surrounded your property Hmm. in the British Isles. I think it was really big, maybe Ireland as well. I don't know about the rest of Europe. I think it, this is a European thing, you know, spread across the continent, but I haven't done my research in that regard. So don't quote me on that. But anyway, a modern day fence serves the same purpose and is usually more common in the U S to have a fence than a hedgerow. But the hedgerow was essentially the threshold between wilderness and civilization. Mm. This is where the terms riding or crossing the hedge comes from in relation to the hedge witch as well. So if you cross that line between your property and the outside world, yeah, you were, it was thought that you were crossing a threshold and you're actually giving up some of your protective barrier as well. So that's kind of interesting to think about it that way. But so the hedgerow too was often 
the plants or the trees or the bushes, what have you, that were grown for the hedgerow had significant magical mm. purpose. So there were, they used elder, they used hawthorn. <clears throat> I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that I know about, but a lot of the plants, interestingly, also were either sacred to the Celts or are sacred fairy plants. Hmm. So, yeah. But today, most of us have a fence, right? Right. Yes. And it can be, it can be looked at in the same way. And I've actually used splinters from my wooden fence in my yard and some of my crossing the hedge oils before. Ooh, that's good. Wow. Thank you. (laughs) You I made it up. You should save that for our, our tips and tricks for spellcraft. Okay. Good yeah. One. Yeah. I'll write, I'll write it down. Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say too, probably like, I was just thinking of different botanicals that would have been used for hedgerows. And I would, I would venture to guess that like Holly would have been popular. I mean, it makes sense. Barbed, yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. I know definitely elder and Hawthorne. And I think it's funny too, because obviously spirits linger in liminal places and the hedgerow, if all the plants were sacred to the fae and they lived in the hedgerow, it would make sense, right? It all kind of adds up. Right. Right. Okay. So while we're on a roll here, why don't you also tell us about thresholds? Thresholds of the home include doorways as well as windowsills. In the book, The Magical Household, Scott Cunningham says to open your front door during the twilight hours, just about halfway, and soften your gaze and peer outside, and you might just get a look into the other world. It's said that spirits, excuse me, linger in doorways which is where the tradition of carrying a bride across the threshold comes from. It's to protect her from any malevolent spirits while she's in her pure form, essentially. Hmm. (laughs) And interestingly, the jinn of Middle Eastern myth or belief are fond of lingering, lingering in doorways. And also the hearth, particularly when it's an actual fireplace is a liminal space and in medieval times, witches were believed to use this liminal space to cross the, cross the barrier, cross the hedge to fly up into the ether. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I've never done that. I've never done the thing where you crack the door and look outside it. What is I it think dust? I've never done it with the front door, but I will say that <clears throat> I feel like with my bedroom door, I either want it all the way open or all the way closed. I don't like it when it's like partly. Halfway. Yeah. <laughs> and I wonder See, that's if that's why. Too. <laughs> like that's funny too, because it drives my husband nuts, but I hate, I can't stand having the bedroom door open when I'm in the bedroom. Yeah. Like, I need it to be closed. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say that I'm scared of the dark, but I mean, there's certain nights where I'm like, I don't like the way this looks, you know, like it's a little creepy. Yeah, yeah for sure. Hmm. That's kind of, is that like a oxymoron, a witch that's scared of the dark? Uh, probably <laughs> I'm not scared of the dark, but I just, there's something about 
being in a bedroom with an open door that I don't like. And I, I don't know. know why that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not, it's something that I've not really ever been able to put my finger on. I mean, the closest that I can say is like when the door is closed, I feel safe and enclosed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, and there are some people that get claustrophobic and it's the opposite, but I'm not, I'm the opposite. <laughs> like I need the door closed. Yeah. Yeah. And I I'm saying either all the way open or all the way closed. Cause if it's halfway, it means it's liminal and we're inviting spirits people. So <laughs> open the darn thing or close it one or the other. <laughs> right. What about, tell us about, cause we've, we've mentioned mirrors before in other episodes, but can you tell us about vortices and mirrors and how they serve as liminal space? Okay. So mirrors are portals for spirits. Okay. So when you've got mirrors that face each other, then you can create a vortex and vortices are liminal spaces since they do exist in both the world of form and the world of force. So essentially by facing two mirrors together, you're creating like a spirit superhighway. Oh, <laughs> that's the way I can put it. Goody. Um, Goody. So as far as vortices go, there are some well-known areas around the world which are liminal vortex spaces. Mm -hmm. Some of these include Mount Shasta in California, Sedona in Arizona. Uh, Here in Western Australia, we have Uluru, which is a massive vortex, Um, but you get the idea. So these places are when you step on the land, you can immediately feel like a shift, like they are liminal spaces. These when, are, these places, yeah. are they also, and cause I believe that Sedona is, I knew it was a, vor, a vortex, um, energy vortex space, but it's also where ley lines cross. Yes. So I wonder if that's where the vortices, the vortices come from as far as those power places. Is it where I bet all of them have ley lines yeah. that cross there? Yeah, probably. I would say, hmm. I would say almost hundred percent. That so, would be a good topic as well. Ley lines. Cause believe it or not, it's a really robust concept. Yeah. And that's also why, well, I don't want to get too much into it, but that's also why there are tips and tricks for, um, like for instance, sometimes when people are having trouble sleeping, um, in their bedrooms, Mm -hmm. it's likely because your bed is over a ley line. So there are certain things that you should do. If you find out that your bed is directly over a ley line to kind of negate that vortex energy, Mm. because essentially you can't sleep because you're in a liminal space. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because my neighbor's that had the big dog on the side here, they've, they're gone. Like they left, but I swear to God, I just heard him like breathing on the other side. It freaked me out anyway. Okay. It's pretty wild. Yeah, really. All right. Back to the episode. Okay. So we we're talked about the vortices. What about haunted places or haunted buildings? Okay. Well, anytime there is paranormal activity in a certain location, that location becomes a liminal space. Mm -hmm. So like, I mean, you've done paranormal investigating. 
I've done paranormal mm. investigating. No, I mean, you haven't, I thought you had, I mean, my mom does my mommy does. Well, <laughs> my mommy does. Well, I have done some paranormal investigating, but I visited very old asylums, hotels, uh, regional, regional and national battlefield parks, and even towns or cities that are eerie as hell. Oh yeah. Um, if you are a sensitive in any sense of that word, you will know the moment that you step on the land that you aren't quite still in the physical world. Mm-hmm. So some good examples of this would be, uh, stones river national battlefield in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I actually had to go there for class when I was in uni and we stepped on that battlefield and I was like, Oh, I got to leave. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wanted to get out of there. Yep. ASAP. Mm-hmm. Um, Gettysburg. In I've been there. Mm-hmm. Oh, how's that? It's heavy. Yeah. Mm. Fort Apache in Arizona. Um, because that's the original Fort Apache. Um, and it's creepy. And then in Australia, I would say King's cross in Sydney. Yeah. Um, that is an old, um, nightclub district. It's now closed down, but there was a lot of bad stuff that happened in King's cross. So, so, um, I, not that I'm an investigator, but I grew up in Maryland where there's yeah. a lot of history, all jam packed in that tiny little state. And so I've experienced many of these places and even lived in some. And a few years ago, my mom and I actually visited Savannah, Georgia, Mm -hmm. which is beyond freaking haunted and liminal in every sense of the words. Well, yeah. Um, Savannah is the most haunted city in America. Yeah. You want to know why? Why? Because the historic district there the is it on the river or something? Yeah, there's a river. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And the historic district actually, the I think it's called Old Colonial Cemetery. They literally ran um well, there's two stories there, but I'll just tell you the one. So the cemetery used to be a lot bigger than it is now. So they mm-hmm. built over, I don't know, thousands of graves. <laughs> And the sidewalks are actually morphed in places like they're bumping up and then they, they go down, they dip down and they say that's where the graves have disintegrated under the sidewalk. And so they've shifted. Hmm. It's pretty wild, but anyway. (laughs) Yeah, no, I totally get that. And, and I mean, from everything that I've ever heard, yeah, Savannah is crazy. Yeah. I mean, we, my mom and I, first of all, you will have spirits follow you if you're not careful, like home. And secondly, when you're there, you will have all kinds of like, there's clairvoyant moments. You're smelling phantom things. You're, you know, it's just crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yes. I agree. Uh, and, you know, I would go so far as to even say places like Salem, New Orleans. I mean, they're probably extremely liminal, I've been to especially Salem. when you, hmm? I've been to Salem. It, it is, but I, I, I was going to say, especially Savannah, huh? Yeah. I was just going to say, especially if you go to like in Salem, I would expect by the original housing 
and things like that. And in new Orleans, I would expect like down in the old French quarter. Yeah. I haven't been to new Orleans yet. That's on my list, but Salem, I've been to the older houses, the one, um, the witch house. It's actually not, there weren't witches that live there, but there was a judge that lived there that supposedly may have brought witches there. You can definitely feel things there, but overall, I think Savannah, the entire city is like that. It's like, it's, it's wild. Yeah. What else? Okay. Beaches. Let's beaches? talk about beaches. Yeah. Like as in water, sand, beach. Oh, like not like people we don't like. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's beaches. Our liminal. Um, <laughs> so beaches are more literal liminal spaces, right? Because mm-hmm. they are the space which divides two entirely different physical worlds. So uh-huh. you've got the one on land and the one in the deep. And the, I think the depths and the vastness of the ocean, uh, being still unknown lends to the liminal status of the beach, right? Yes. I would say it, it also has to do with, and this is maybe just something that's ingrained in our minds as well from our ancient ancestors, like the Celts believed, um, I mean, they believe different things, but, but a big part of their beliefs of the other world, Tiernanog and all the different names they had for them was over the sea or under the sea. So I guess if you're standing on the beach, then that's definitely a liminal space. Right. But yeah, also, I- too, I think there's a lot of spiritual um, boundaries between water and land as well. So you have like any shoreline, right? Like a river bank. Um, also I think waterfalls, bogs were definitely liminal to the Celts as well. Hence why some of their dead were buried there or placed there or what have you. Right. Yeah. The peat bog mummies are cool. I know. Right. Yeah. It's, that's, that's some creepy stuff. I mean, preserved like skin preserved and everything yeah yeah that's pretty wild that would even mean that ice would be liminal yeah um exactly yeah because it's it's neither one thing or the other right it's kind of it's between it's in betwixt Mm. also too fog and mist yeah that's true huh yeah, because you think it's like, is it water? Is it air? It's both. It's neither. <laughs> <laughs> and it's often linked to the other world or, you know, the fae spirits, etc. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Cool. I was really excited about this topic when I was researching. Yeah. I was so excited. I didn't want to go to the grocery store. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to mundane. I just want to do this. It's a really cool topic. And I don't think that we talk about it enough, actually. No, we Uh, don't. I mean, I know that there was a book written. I think it's fairly new. It's called weave the liminal and everybody was into that for a minute. Um, but I I haven't read that. Oh, well it's by, uh, uh, yeah, I can see the cover in my mind. Cause I know I like, I've seen it people talked about it a lot there for a while, but 
Yeah, no, I haven't read it either. Um, but liminal space was a topic upon the release of that book for a minute. Um, but yeah. it has since died down and I don't, you know, people don't really talk about this that much. Well, they should. And they should. in addition, just real quick, the rest of the physical liminal space part could also be edges of forests, ancient roots of trees, caves, wells, mountain peaks, ancient ruins, as well as your traditional marketplaces and festivals, believe it or not. Yeah. And as you can see, this topic can be pretty broad. Yeah. Vast. Yeah. Yep. So we we're, we're trying to keep this to 45 minutes to an hour. So we're not going to go into every one. <laughs> oh, no, no. I was just saying that, that, that that's what we have left, but no, we couldn't go into every single one of them. It would be too long. <laughs> Correct. I think they get the idea. So <laughs> what about, we talked about the physical, what about these spiritual or experiential liminal spaces? What are some um, examples and also, are they just as important as the physical spaces? Yeah. So I think this is an excellent question. I think witches and people in general struggle more with spiritual. Sorry, I coughed. You're fine. Um, I think people in general struggle more with the spiritual liminal space than the physical Physical liminal spaces, it's pretty easy to feel that it's different if you're sensitive. Yeah, I was going to say not to everybody, I don't think, but no, but if you're that way inclined, um, absolutely. Yeah. And though they take practice to access, once you get the hang of it, you can generally readily navigate a physical liminal space. Mm-hmm. But I think spiritual or experiential liminal spaces are more difficult because when we are in transition, we, when we are in between one phase or state and another, there's the not knowing, right. Mm -hmm. And not knowing for some people is the worst form of torture imaginable, especially for, you know, Virgos, because we have to know everything. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, Oh, it's like the worst. Um, but this is actually where you have to learn to trust your intuition, trust your path and the events that are occurring, even when everything may be falling apart. Right. Mm-hmm. Preach. <laughs> well, and <laughs> you know, people say all the time that, and this is getting into the next thing. So when you have a dark night of the soul, which I mentioned earlier, it's a liminal space. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get really morbid here, but a lot of my learning to trust my intuition has come from being made a liminal being essentially by my disability. So I don't have a whole functioning, healthy body, but I'm also not dead. Yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. this sounds really crazy, but no, it doesn't. Um, I know that I'm at a higher risk of dying at an earlier age, and I've had to experience the vulnerability at its most primal level to lay myself at the feet of medical doctors and trust them to cut me open and save me from heart failure four times in the last 37 years, all the while not knowing if I would come out each time. Yeah. And I think this is a 
spiritual or experiential event that has forced me to come to some sort of resolve about being okay with not knowing. Wow. You know, I've had to, with that, I've had to live by my intuition and instincts and, uh, and now I'm okay with being a liminal being. Um, but that's just, that's just my, uh, story, I guess. But uh, Kitty, have you had anything happen like that for you? Um, well, no, not to that point. No, uh, (laughs) you, wow. Yeah. That's intense. Well, yeah. Let me just, I'm just going to say for anybody who doesn't know, I was born with a congenital heart defect. And, um, as a result, I have half a heart. So that's what I'm talking about. Um, but I'm happy and I'm healthy and I'm able to do (laughs) podcasts. So you're amazing. And we are happy to have you. I don't know about that, but so I am, what do you want to add to that? Cause I know you got something. Um, well, I would just say that to your, to that same note, um, high levels of pain yeah, that brings you to the brink of death or, you know, it, it basically, it forces one to ride that line between life and death or, Sometimes you'll even feel your soul start to separate from your body. Mm. And uh, in certain cases, psychology will call this disassociation, um, which can be experienced in times of great mental or emotional turmoil as well. Mm. I would say when I was, it, it brought up just a memory of when I was 12 going on 13, those years, I went through a really scary, tumultuous time at home. And I really believe that my soul, at least part of my soul left my body for that period of time. Mm. It always felt like I was kind of hovering over things. It was, it it can be a defense mechanism for sure. This is obviously not necessarily a healthy liminal space to be in. And you'll notice too, with, with things like this, that you often won't have memories from that period in time. But Mm. I think too, in addition, about a year ago, Um, obviously this has, does not anywhere touch Laura's pain or the things that you've been through, but I had, you might laugh, but I had the worst migraine of my life. And I, it's not like I don't even, I've had maybe three or four in my life. And this one was terrible, like 10 out of 10 pain for sure. I could literally at one point feel, I felt like my soul was trying to pull out of my body. Hmm. And it, it scared me because it wasn't voluntary. And I literally told myself, um, you're not going anywhere. You're staying right here. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is not funny to me at all. I actually, um, my great grandfather suffered from migraines so bad that he was bedridden for months yeah, at a time. That's terrible. So I can imagine the pain is insane. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I never really knew that before. You know, people would say, oh, I have a migraine. I would be like, okay, get over it. It's a headache, you know? But then I started getting them and I was like, holy, this is nuts, you know? Yeah. And I think pretty bad. I think the point of the whole of what we're saying is that the between can be heart rate, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, but it can also be exciting and motivating and basically all the feels at once, depending on what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, so just like moving. Right. So you've got all the feels about moving. Like it's, 
you're sad that you're leaving, but you're excited for what's to come, but you're not really sure where you fit in yet because you're with and without a home. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think to wait what you're okay. Keep going with that. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, um, pregnancy is another great example of the between Mm -hmm. because the baby is growing, but it isn't yet a person. And the mother actually serves as the liminal space, the in-between space, right? Yes. Agreed. And again, to the whole pain thing, being a a liminal, um, space as well through the pain of the birthing process. Yes. That's that's, a good example. Yeah. It's kind of both right. Plus the woman, the mother, um, the mother's womb and the outside world, that birthing process is the a liminal, the threshold essentially. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, again, with the pain, pain is used too by a lot of indigenous shamans in some cultures use it as a means to breach the line between here and there, you know, between here and there. But obviously we are not recommending that people. Yes. Yeah. I don't remember. I can't remember if it was the Aztecs or the Incans, but one of those cultures or the Mayans, (laughs) it was either the Aztecs or the Incans, I think, but one of those cultures, the Kings would fast for a certain period of time Mm -hmm. and climb up a plateau. And then they would stab themselves in the penis with a swordfish like point. Okay. For the purposes of getting to liminal space and having visions. I mean, Probably just the fasting will get you there. I don't know that you need to really like pierce your thing with a sword. But, <laughs> sorry, but I'm laughing. No. That's rude. I don't mean to be, it, it's just, whoa. <laughs> no, but I'm like saying absolutely. Like even in ancient cultures, these are the links that people would go to. Yeah. To get liminal space. You know what I mean? For sure. But like, why? I feel like someone just, someone was messing with them. You know, they were like, like (laughs) one of the priests was like, dude, all he needs to do is like fast for a few days and he'll totally get a vision. Let's tell him to pierce his penis with the end of a swordfish. And they're like on the sidelines laughing somewhere, you know? Oh, anyway, (laughs) see it like in a movie. I don't know why. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Moving on, moving on. What about, are there liminal times? Yes, absolutely. So I would place these under spiritual experiential liminal spaces, Mm -hmm. but Samhain and Beltane are definitely liminal times of the year. Um, And like it or not, I also think Yule and Midsummer are as well, since they are the times when it's the darkest or the lightest. And it's the literal point of balance between dark and night, dark and light. Yeah. Right. I agree. Uh, um, dusk and dawn are also liminal working times since they are the points of the day where dark and light are equal. Mm-hmm. You also have personal liminal timing that is unique to you and your craft. This is actually something that I teach, but um, this actually ties in with elemental working and, and things like that. But Some people call these threshold times, but they are the times when your magic is most potent because the veil is the thinnest during those times when you are working and it's not the same for everyone. Hmm. Does that make sense? 
maybe I need to be mentored on this, (laughs) but it's just, it's not so it's not necessarily something that you would need to be mentored on. It's just something that I think that it's great for every practitioner to sit down and really think about when do you work the most magic? When do you feel the most powerful and most energetic and write that stuff down from like times of the year, seasons, times of the day, um, uh, which, you know, which directions do you want to work with the most things like that. And what you end up coming up with are all these liminal spaces that are unique to yourself. I need to do that. Like actually sit down and write it all out. That's cool. I like that idea. Also, I want to add, I believe certain ages in one's life are liminal times. For example, speaking of my just my experience earlier, the, the emotional turmoil at age 12 going on 13, that's a liminal age because it's a time when you're about to, or you are starting to go through puberty, right? And you're not really a child, but you're not an adult. You're not really a teenager yet. You're kind of, you know, so you're in between. And I think there's also some other in-between times in life as well. And obviously birth and death are liminal times for sure. I would also go so far as to say, that's why we call them the tween years, the tween years. Oh yeah. Look at that. (laughs) Very clever. Good point. I didn't even think of that till just now though. Brilliant. Brilliant. Clapping. Okay. So how do we use these liminal spaces in our practice and how can we enter a liminal space? All right. Well, depending on the, which you're going to learn to enter and work within these liminal spaces in your own way. Like we've said before, you probably are already working in these liminal spaces without realizing it, be it through physical spaces or the spiritual Maybe you're a kitchen witch and you work at the hearth. That's a liminal space. Maybe you love meditating or even exploring in the forest. That's physical and spiritual liminality. If you're doing both at the same time, like let's say you take a walk through the woods and you allow the gods to speak to you. So take some time to think about the ways in which you're already working in that in-between state or states and some ways in which you'd like to explore it further. I agree on all counts. (coughs) Excuse me. All right. So, Alora, let's get to some listener questions. Woohoo! Favorite part of the show. (laughs) Rachel asks, what are good ways to protect and honor these spaces and thresholds? Uh, I would say that it really depends on the space. Um, for instance, if we're talking about a place like a battlefield or a graveyard, I think preservation and conservation, giving them the respect they deserve, like you're not going to go out there and throw a party or a kegger on a <laughs> battlefield space. Like, oh my God, mm, I hope not. Like that would be not cool. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, for, huh? I'm laughing. I think for most liminal spaces, the best thing you can do is treat them as hallowed places. So They are spiritual and sacred and should be treated as such. So for instance, you don't use an altar for a coat rack. And I actually had a roommate do this and oh my God, my rage was unhinged. I was so pissed off. 
Oh yeah. Um, and like I said, you don't have a kegger on a battlefield. Um, so for some liminal spaces, there are also laws that help protect them as well. For example, I'm pretty sure that in Arizona, you can't visit a cemetery past dark unless you own it. Mm. Um, so things like that. And then for personal liminal spaces, that's where you come in. Oh, are we talking household or what, what do you mean? Personal? Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So, sorry. Sorry, folks. So protect your household thresholds, meaning your, you know, doorways, windowsills, altars and all of that. You use your cleansing warding methods, as well as maybe, you know, salt and protective powders, your oils, all that kind of stuff. Yes. Agreed. Okay. Last question. Cindy asks, are some liminal spaces more liminal than others? So hold on. I just have to say, are some in between spaces more in between than others? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just want to say that. Okay. For instance, would a crossroad in the forest be more between than a doorway? Oh, I guess that is a good question. Sorry, Cindy. I would say, (laughs) I would say yes and no. So I think the kinds of work that can be done in a liminal space depend on the liminal space, but that doesn't necessarily make it a greater liminal space, just a different liminal space. Mm. So, you know, for example, I would say that my ancestor altar and my family owned cemetery are both equally useful for working with my ancestors where working in my doorway may feel less useful for the same thing. Mm. I also think it's personal preference, um, and want versus need. So what I mean by that is when a witch's magic comes from a place of need, there is literally nothing that they can't do. And I know this because I've experienced it. Um, and when it comes from a place of want, it's not as potent um, mm-hmm. as, a, as when it comes from a place of need. I and I think, yeah. And I think this also applies to liminal spaces, right? So if you need that liminal space for a specific purpose, I feel like it comes easier. Whereas if you're just stepping into liminal space as a want, it's a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I was, I just, I mean, I don't know how everybody else out there feels, but that's just my opinion. Like in my experience, I guess. Yes. A thousand percent. All right. Well, I think that we have talked liminal spaces to death. I agree. (laughs) We (laughs) shall wrap it up. All right. Sounds good. Check out liminal spaces at otherworldlyoracle.com. Just type liminal or thresholds into the search bar and boom, all things in between. We welcome you to join our high vibing Facebook group and visit Alora's website at alorarain.com. Shout out to all of our oracles for joining us, whether you're new or returning. Subscribe to or favorite our podcast to be notified of future episodes. Help your magical sisters out and be sure to share our podcast and please review us too. And remember, whether you're in the land of the Fae or the land of the ancestors, stay otherworldly.